I want you to find the book of Jonah, if you will, this morning, and we're going to continue in our series on Christian classics. And uh, let me start with just a little bit of background um, as we get ready to dive in. Jonah chapter 1, and we'll be in chapter 2 and chapter 3. I'm trying not to preach the whole book of Jonah to you today, but I'm going to give you some of it. Amen? When you think of the book of Jonah, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Great fish, right? But the book of Jonah is not about a great fish. In fact, only three verses deal with the fish. The other 45 verses tell us the real message of Jonah's story. And the truth is, the book of Jonah is not about a big fish. The book of Jonah is about a big God. Anybody thankful for a big God? Jonah is one of the 12 minor prophets, written about 750 BC. It's written during a time of the Northern Kingdom was expanding. King Jeroboam II is king of, of Israel uh, during this time. Jonah's story is a lot like our story. It's a story about his struggles, about his calling, his disobedience, and about his problems. It's a story about second chances, about his success and his failures. What I want us to understand this morning is that God calls certain people to certain places for certain purposes. Just like he called Pastor John and Miss Brooke to Louisiana, a certain place with the purpose of planting Oaks Church for the glory of God. God's got something special in this place. He raised up this lighthouse to be a lighthouse for God. It's a unique church. It's a special church. It is a church that is tending for revival every week. It's a church that is hungry for God. I can sense it in the atmosphere. But what I want us to understand, in Jonah's case, we find God calling him to Nineveh to preach against sin. But when God called Jonah, he replied, sorry, God, I'm on my way to Tarshish. What a contrast that response was to the call of the prophet Isaiah when God asked, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah's response was, here I am, send me. A lot of us are on boats that are sailing for Tarshish. God is saying, go to Nineveh. I want to ask you this morning, where are you headed? There are really only two roads in the Christian life, and one leads to Nineveh and the other to Tarshish. One road is the will of God, and the other is disobedience to the will that God has for your life. Somewhere there's a job for you that no one else can do quite like the way you do it, because you have a uniqueness to yourself that God has called and placed you and has a task and a purpose for your life. I want us to stand this morning in honor of the reading of God's Word. And Jonah chapter 1, we're going to read the first 17 verses, the entirety of chapter 1. And if you're really excited about being in the house of the Lord this morning, would you just say amen real big? Amen. 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 I know that you are hungry this morning for what God has for us. I'm excited to preach to you this morning, Jonah on the run from God. And many of you in this place may be on the run from God, running from the call that God has in your life. Or you may be like Jonah, where you have blown it and not done what God had asked you to do and you feel like a failure. I want you to know this morning we serve a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. I am grateful for God. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. 
He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, what do you mean sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, please tell us for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will come, become calm and you, for I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land but they could not for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, we pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Father, thank you this morning for your presence, for the joy and the honor of being here to stand behind this sacred desk one more time to preach the word. I thank you for the people of Oaks Church. Thank you for Pastor John and Brooke. Thank you for their leadership. Now I pray in these next few moments, hide me behind the cross. Speak through me today, Father. May I be an oracle of heaven. God, that you would open up our hearts that we might receive what you have for us. Give us listening ears to hear what the Spirit says. Help make us better today in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you. you. may be seated in the presence of the Lord. The first thing I want to share with you this morning is that Jonah receives a word from the Lord. Aren't you thankful this morning that God still speaks? God still has a word for us every single day of our lives. We just need to spend some time with him. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. It's interesting that Jonah means dove and Amittai means truth. I want to ask you this morning, what are you running away from that you should be running to? This personal word that... Uh, Jonah received from the Lord. The call of the Lord was personal to him. It was Jonah. God did not call Habakkuk or Amos or Obadiah or any other of the prophets to go to Nineveh. 
I don't know how God talked to Jonah. Perhaps God spoke to him audibly as he did to Abraham. Perhaps God spoke to him in a vision as he did with Peter on the rooftop. Or maybe it was a dream as it was with Joseph. It simply may have been an impression on his heart. Some people have no difficulty believing that God spoke to this man, Jonah, but find it extremely difficult to believe that he would speak to them. Has the word of the Lord come to you this week? If not, it's because you have not spent any time with him. Because if you spend time with the Lord, I promise the Lord has some things he wants to say to us. Our problem is we get so busy doing life that we leave God often out of the equation, oftentimes, and he doesn't get an opportunity to speak to us. That's why the Bible says, be still and know that I'm God. Hebrews uh, 1, verse 1 and 2 says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. Today, the Bible says in Hebrews 3, 7, 8, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. God's got something personal for you, just like Jonah. He's got a personal word for every single one of us. Aren't you thankful he's not a respecter of people? That God has something for each and every one of us. Not only was it a personal word, but I want you to see it was a specific word. The specifics of it was go, God said, go to Nineveh. God did not tell Jonah to go to Jerusalem or to Shechem or to Joppa or anywhere else. His call was to Nineveh. Nineveh was a great city in what is modern-day Iraq. Its streets were 20 miles long and its walls 100 feet high. The walls around Nineveh were so wide that three chariots could be driven abreast across the top of them. It was a city of great wickedness. God doesn't always tell you the things you want to hear. What about David and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and Daniel and Abraham or even Jesus? What specific calling are you running from that you should be running to? Your calling is not for your glory, but your calling is for God's glory. Don't lose sight of what God's gifted you and called you to do. It's not for your glory, but for God's glory. God had a specific call for Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach the word of God. Here was the purpose in it. God instructed Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness had come up before me. The Lord is never vague in his call. Amen? The verbs in verse 2 are imperatives. They're commands. Go. Preach. We all need to be reminded that God's calling is always in the imperative. Jonah was not to go and preach philosophy, speak religious platitudes, He was not to go and address social issues. He was not to go and set up a food bank or begin a clothing ministry. All of those are wonderful things, but God had a purpose in sending Jonah to the Ninevites. That was to preach the word of God so they might get saved. Where are the prophets who, as Joel said, weep between the temple porch and the altar over the sins of the people? Today, four men are ruling America from their graves. Charles Darwin tells us that sin is just a hangover from the animalistic background. John Dewey, the leading promoter of pragmatism, tells us that human beings can be educated out of what drags them down. He says that sin is not our problem, a lack of education is. 
Sigmund Freud tells us that the concept of sin is what is wrong with the people in the first place. And Karl Marx tells us that man's problem is basically economic. Put him in the right economic state and he will prosper. Those four ruling philosophies are ruling America. But where are those standing between the porch and the altar, crying out against the wickedness of our day? It wasn't long ago on the Grammys that Sam Smith stood up glorifying Satan, satanic stuff happening at the midst of the Grammys, singing a song called Unholy. If you ever wonder if our world's in trouble or not, all you have to do is turn on the TV and find out. We are in a mess. I shared with our congregation last week about some of the things that are happening in our own backyard in Biloxi, Mississippi, and they had a ball there, and then that ball was basically the same setting that was happening at the Grammys. The only way to confront that kind of sin is this kind of God. And we've got to be able to stand up in the culture that is greatly affecting the church we got to be, up and be able to have some men stand up behind a pulpit with, with some gall, with some backbone that will preach the unadulterated Word of God to say, this is not right. I know it goes against culture. Trust me, I'm on the coast of Mississippi, and Mardi Gras is a big thing. And so for a pastor to stand up and to say that Mardi Gras has pagan roots— and be careful what you're reaching up to to get some beads for. I wish some people would get more excited about Jesus than they do about getting a string of beads. And so we're writing down, and, and most of, a lot of people have no idea. I had people come up to me after church last Sunday and say, Pastor, I had no idea. But I looked it up, and I found out, you're right. The only way we're going to combat that kind of evil that's taking place is the church has got to be the church. The church is not meant to look like the world. We have a lot of places that have watered down the gospel that just allow anything to go. They don't preach about repentance anymore. They don't preach about sin anymore. Listen, we only talk about those things because we love you. I tell our people, I love you. I said, if I go to heaven, when I get to heaven, I don't want the Lord to look at me and say, you didn't tell him. I love you enough to tell you the truth. I'm not here to please people. I'm here to please the Lord. And the church is being infiltrated. Instead of that having the church having a great impact on the world, the world's impacting the church. And, and the church looks too much like the world. But Jesus said, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord of hosts. I got off on that, didn't I? Man's problem is not fundamentally biological, nor educational, nor psychological, nor economical. Man's problem is sin and rebellion. So Jonah gets a word from the Lord, and Jonah decides that I don't want, I don't like the word, I don't, I don't want to adhere to the word, I'm, I'm going to go to Tarshish, I'm going to go the opposite direction. And so Jonah, the second thing I want to talk about is Jonah runs from the word of the Lord. But Jonah ran away, verse 3, from the Lord and headed towards Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for the port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Can I tell you this morning, there will always be a boat headed in the wrong direction waiting for you to get on. 
the enemy will supply you transportation to go in the opposite direction of the Lord. He is always willing to help you out. Amen? When God speaks to you, there will always be another way to get you going in the wrong direction. Now, Jonah is a prophet to Israel. He's known by many theologians as the reluctant prophet. That means God is going to continue to speak to Jonah, but time and time again, Jonah will choose his own path instead of God's path. What are you running away from that you should be running to? The Bible says Jonah gets a word from God and he doesn't like it. Please understand, when God speaks to you, he's not always going to tell you the things that you like. If you're waiting to get a word from God you might like, you might be waiting a long time if it has to be a word you like. God's going to ask you to do some uncomfortable things. God's going to ask you to share some uncomfortable things. God might ask you when you leave this place to go out into the restaurant you are and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody that you're not comfortable with. God will always move us out of our comfort zones so that we can be used for him for his glory. Amen? Jonah did not like the word he received from the Lord and gets on a ship and heads, listen, 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. Jonah goes to sleep and God sends a supernatural storm so big that the sailors go down and wake up Jonah. Sometimes in order to get our attention, God will send a storm. And the only way the storm will settle is if we surrender ourselves to God and to his plan. God will do whatever's needful and necessary to get our attention. And sometimes God will send a storm or allow a storm to come our way to grab our attention. The sailors are now in the middle of a storm because of Jonah. This is Jonah's storm. Have you ever had to share somebody else's storm? Sometimes we need to ask ourselves, Is this storm I'm having to deal with because of me or because I've allowed the wrong people on my boat? Sometimes the only way to get the drama to settle and the storm to settle is to kick some people off of your boat. Not everybody is meant to ride along with you. In in fact, Jesus spent all night praying about who he was going to let in his inner circle. Some of you, if you're going to be successful in life and do the things God wants you to do, you're going to have to do an inventory of the people that's riding in the front seat of your life. Not everybody deserves a front seat in your life. I don't want people in the front seat of my life, on the front row of my life, speaking negativity into my life. I want people that will dream with me. I want people that will help encourage me to accomplish everything that God's asked me to accomplish. And what I found out in life is some of the people that were riding in the front seat weren't healthy enough to ride in the front seat. And some of you got some people that you're going to have to move out of the front seat and move to the balcony of your life and love them from a distance until they get healthy and whole to be able to ride along with you. And sometimes, listen to me, sometimes that's family. Some of the people that are really hindering us can be family members. And some of them we just need to move. You can love them from the balcony. Because you'll never be everything God wants you to be until you get them out of your boat and allow God to move and work in your life. We must be intentional in who we allow in our life. They come to Jonah and say, what are you doing? I'm running from God. And Jonah says, the only way the storm is going to stop is to throw me overboard. 
And they said, no, we, we love the Lord and just can't do that to you. The rain gets harder and the winds blow harder and they finally say, okay, you're going over and they throw Jonah overboard. And the Bible says just as soon as Jonah hits the water, immediately the storm calms down. Jonah knew, listen, Jonah knew it was better to be obedient in the storm than disobedient in the boat. So God sends a big fish to swallow Jonah. God will do whatever's necessary to get you to fulfill the calling he has for your life. The fish represented three things. First of all, a place of confinement. The fish to me represents God's discipline and discipleship. Listen to me, if God delivers you but never disciplines you, how will you ever learn? If God saves you and never disciples you, how will you ever discover your purpose? The Bible says God provided the fish. Do not mistake God's provision for punishment. Sometimes God will continue, will, sometimes God will confine you to a place where you can no longer run so he can get your attention. Maturity in the Lord is when you can differentiate between God's punishment and God's provision. Jonah in the, is in the belly of the fish, could have had a bad attitude, but that's not what we discover. Instead, we see the belly of the fish becomes a place where Jonah begins to contemplate. I'm here in the belly of the well. It's a great place to give some thought to what I may be running from. The place of contemplation developed in him the right spirit before God. What kind of spirit? It was a spirit of brokenness. God only works with broken things. If you're not broken before God, then you're full of yourself. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 and 29. Listen to me. The greater the anointing, the greater the breaking. How do you know when you are broken before God? When you're able to pray what Jesus prayed. Not my will, but thy will be done. Brokenness is necessary, but brokenness is a season and not a destination. Listen, in your state of brokenness, God never intends for you to stay broken. It's a season. It's not a destination. And I'm grateful for that. What do you do when you are in the belly of a well and don't know what to do? You do what Jonah did. You pray. Is a place of confession. Thirdly, Jonah begins to pray. Now, there are three things about Jonah's prayer I want to share with you. I want you to see the precision of his prayer. Jonah is going to great lengths to describe his situation, to describe his circumstances. He's being specific and he's being precise. I love what Martin Luther said, pray and let God worry. It is an, it's, it's amazing to me how precise we can be with our worries and how generic we can be with our prayers. Let me say that again. It's amazing to me how precise we can be with our worries and how generic we can be with our prayers. Do you know that 85% of what you worry about really never comes to fruition? We get so intent on, on what we're worried about in our circumstances and our situation and our perspective needs to change because we get enamored by our circumstances and our situations instead of being enamored with the one who's bigger than our circumstances and situations in life. 
Amen? Amen. The second thing I want you to see is the passion of his prayer there in verse 1 and 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Jonah's given us a picture of real emotion and real passion. Whenever you get desperate, you get determined. The question is, what are you desperate for? I want to be a church that gets desperate to hear from God. I want to be a church that gets desperate for his presence. I want church to be where husbands are desperate to love their wives and wives are desperate to love their husbands. I love cool church. I love creative church. I love excellence in church. But all of it pales in comparison to the tangible presence of a great God who shows up when the church gets desperate. And that's what's happening in Asbury. People, the students there got hungry and desperate. I don't want to go through another chapel service just to go through another chapel service. I don't want to just sing another song. I don't want to do three songs, hear someone stand up and us go home. I want to encounter the presence of Jehovah. I'm interested in his presence, the tangible manifest presence that I can only get when I come together with God's people. Oh, thank God for our online audience this morning. Thank God there are times when you're sick and can't be here, but it's just not the same. It's just not the same. It's, it's good when you can't get here, but don't make it a habit. So many people, when COVID hit, made it a habit and they just quit showing up. Great people just got comfortable being at home. I can never get comfortable when I am desperate to encounter him. And if he can do it at Asbury, he can do it at Monroe, Louisiana. He can do it at the Oaks Church. I wonder this morning how many people at the Oaks Church are hungry and desperate for a move of God, ready to see the lost found, the blind see, and the deaf hear. We've got to get desperate. Is there anyone in this house that is determined to see God do something great? I want you to see the posture of his prayer. Verses 9 and 10, chapter 2. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. And as you listen to Jonah, you realize that his prayer is not a prayer for deliverance, but deliverance. The posture of Jonah's entire prayer is one of gratitude. When you get grateful, you get faithful. You know your posture is correct when it's painful, but you're still thankful. Now that Jonah spent the right amount of time in the belly of the whale contemplating and confessing, God has the big fish vomit Jonah onto dry land. God knows how long the incubation period needs to be. God knew how long it would take to birth the right spirit in Jonah. Left him in there as long as it took. I wonder how long you're going to have to walk through what you're walking through before God gets your attention. How long are you going to have to go through the things that you're going through before God gets your attention? Before you wake up and contemplate, there's something much better than this. I'm thankful for the prodigal. The prodigal son, it says that he came to himself, started thinking that the servants at home eat better than I do. I'm here in, the, in this pigsty. I'm here feeding off the, the husk of pigs 
in this hog pen of life. Certainly, life is better back at home. The grass is not always greener on the other side like we think. It took that long, but God knew exactly how long the incubation period would take for Jonah to get a spear ride and to do what God's called you to do. God knows exactly how long. God hasn't given up on you. God hasn't forgotten the call he placed on your life. He he hasn't left you to your own demise. He is still pleading and pulling and asking for you to wake up, to fulfill, because there's no one else like you that can do. You have a specific calling and gifting that only you have for what he's called you to do. Just don't wait a long time. But God knows how long. I always say that when you don't pass the test, what do you have to do? Take it over and over and over again. At some point, I wonder how many times you're going to keep taking the same test over and over before you say, God, I get it. I get it. I don't have to go through that one more time. And the more we listen to him, the the closer we are to him and we hear his voice speaking to us. That's why it's important every day to get up first thing in the morning and have some conversation with the Father. Spend some time in his word and let him speak to you. And we have our laundry list of things that we give to him and what we want and the needs that we have. But sometimes we just need to be still and listen and say, God, what do you want for me today? What can I do for you today? What's your assignment for me today? So I want you to see that God gives Jonah a second chance. Anyone ever need a second chance? Truth is, we've all needed to do over a fresh start, a new beginning, a second chance in life. If you study the Bible, you'll discover that a lot of God's greatest leaders needed a second chance. David and Moses and Noah, the prodigal and Peter and Samson that your pastor talked about last week, John Mark and many others needed a second chance. I want you to notice that in God's second chance for Jonah, he doesn't change Jonah's assignment. The word of the Lord came to him a second time. Jonah, I know we've had this conversation before, and you didn't listen the first time and went in the opposite direction, but you spent some time in the belly of this big fish, and you decided that you're ready now to listen. So now I've got this assignment. It's the same assignment. You may still not like it, but the Ninevites, I'm determined to get him saved. Just like he's determined for every pimp, prostitute, drug addict, and alcoholic to find the Lord and to experience what it means to be set free from bondage. God's still working in those lives. He doesn't change his assignment. When Jonah this time took advantage of his second chance, and I'm thankful to the good Lord above for the many chances he gave me. All of us in this room today are not perfect. All of us have fallen short. All of us have things that we've done wrong. But God in his loving, compassionate way drew us to a place. And what John was saying this morning so resonated with my spirit. And I remind myself daily of the mire that he brought me out of. Set my feet on the solid rock to stay. And now I'm there, and every day I get up, I'm reminded that there I would be where some other people are if it weren't for the grace of God. And I'm thankful for what he's done, and I've taken advantage of that second and third and fourth chance, and I'm thankful he still gives them. 
God not only gave Jonah a second chance, but he gave Nineveh a second chance. Jonah finally goes to Nineveh and preaches the word of God. And one of the reasons Jonah did not want to go to the Ninevites is because he knew God's word was true. Those people were going to get delivered, and he didn't like them. I'm glad that you and I don't get to decide who qualifies for the gospel. Hey, come on. You don't get to decide, and neither do I. Jesus qualified people a long time ago on Calvary's cross that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he gave it to everyone, the ability to call on his name. Three things about Jonah's preaching. He brought the power of conviction. The Bible says in verse 5, they believed. Thank God. They, they, belief is one part of it, but thank God there has to be repentance. Amen? The Bible says even the demons believe. So it takes more than belief, but they started off right. They believed. Verse 6, I love this. It says the king got off the throne. Conviction hit him. Look at verse 6, chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to, then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. I am thankful today for the conviction of God. As a minister of the gospel, there are times where God's convicting power comes over me. I'm thankful because it keeps me in line. You ought to be thankful this morning for the conviction of God that keeps you where you need to be, that when you stray off the path that you're on, God says, oh no, son, you're not going to do that. Words of caution, the yellow light comes out. You're heading in the wrong direction, son. And then before long, the red light, like you better stop. You're about to go off the cliff. I am thankful today for conviction. And that's what brought the Ninevites to a place, secondly, of confession. They confessed in verse 8. It says, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way, from the violence that is in his hands. There is confession from the king to saying, everybody in the land of Nineveh is going to turn and give their hearts and lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. And thirdly is the power of conversion. I am thankful for the converting power of Christ that comes. Then thirdly, and I'll close with this. God gives you a second chance, gives me a second chance. Number one, to face your failures. Proverbs 28, 13 in the Living Bible says it this way, a man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes him, them, he gets another chance. I'm glad and thankful for the God of second chances. I'm thankful and it will never happen and you'll never have success unless you're honest. You got, you got to get honest where you are. You can, you can lie to everyone around you, but God knows. And you ultimately know as well. Thank God that we can face our failures. Number two, to release your regrets. Philippians 3, 14, 3, 13 through 14 in the Living Bible. I am still not all I should be. Can anybody say amen? But I am bringing all my energies to bear on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God is calling us up to heaven because of what Christ Jesus did for us. All of us have moments in our lives where we regret some things we may have said or things we may have done. And God says, Son, if you'll confess those things to me, I'll cast them in the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered against you. As far as the east is from the west. Some of the conversations we have with God 
our conversations, he doesn't know what we're talking about. He's chosen to forgive us and to cast them away. So, Ted, I don't know what you're talking about. It may be some of those things that I put in the sea of forgetfulness. Did you not read the sign, no fishing? Quit pulling them back up. And then thirdly, we get a second chance so we can transform our trials. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 says, what a wonderful God we have. He is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the source of every mercy, and the one who is so wonderfully comforts and strengthens us in our hardships and trials. And why does he do this? So that when others are troubled, needing our sympathy and encouragement, we can pass on them, pass on to them the same help and comfort God has given us. Let me ask you a couple questions in closing. What are you running from this morning that you should be running to? You can always run, but you can never hide. Maybe this morning you have some people in your boat that shouldn't be riding along with you. The Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. The truth is not everyone is healthy enough to ride along with you. Some of the people in your life need to be moved to the balcony of your life. Maybe you're here this morning and you would be honest and say, Pastor Ted, I've messed up, I've blown it. I've got some good news for you. We serve a God of second chances. And you're just a, a moment away from transformation, for change, to be different. I want you to stand to your feet with me and I want you to bow your heads for a moment. Father, in these next few moments, I pray. I thank you that you've been moving and working and speaking to hearts. And Lord, I pray for that one today, Lord, who has been running in the opposite direction. You've got a call on their life. You've got a purpose for them. You've got a task for them. You've got something big that you want them to do. Maybe they don't feel qualified. They're running in the opposite direction. I thank you, Lord, today that you qualify us. Father, if you call us, you equip us. And so I pray, Lord, for that one this morning that may be running, but they've heard the word of the Lord today. Come back. Start moving in a new direction so I can fulfill my purpose for your life. Lord, maybe some of us this morning are looking around and we're looking in our boat and we've seen people that we have a new perspective of. They've been detrimental to our lives. They've really been a hindrance. They've really been pulling me down, dragging me down. And I just need to move them out of my boat into the balcony of my life because they're not healthy enough to ride along with me. They are affecting me in a negative way. And I need, Lord, to have an environment that is conducive to the holiness of God so that you can move and work in my life. And Father, no doubt in a crowd this size this morning, there are many here today who have blown it. It may have been last night even. Last night, you're doing things you know you shouldn't have been doing, but thank God you came this morning. And God never stopped loving you. He's still looking out the living room window, looking way down the road, waiting for you to come home. And when he sees you, he's running to you. Because you may have left his home, but you never left his heart.
and he's calling you back today. He's offering you forgiveness. He's offering you a, a do-over, a second chance, a new beginning. Today's your day. Maybe you're here, you don't even know. I have a personal relationship with Jesus. And today you'd say, I just need to start the journey, Pastor. The Bible says it's as easy as ABC. Acknowledge, believe, and confess. If you acknowledge that you're a sinner, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. I acknowledge today, Father, that I'm a sinner. I believe you're the only answer to my sin problem. Not Muhammad, not Buddha, not any other name under heaven, but Jesus. And so I confess you as Lord today. I ask you to come into my heart, cleanse me, and make me whole. I turn away from my old life to a new life thankful that the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed. Behold, all things become new. If you sincerely prayed those prayers this morning and asked God to change your life, I believe God's met you already where you are and has forgiven you of your sin. Now you need to walk with him every day of your life. Father, now with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you this morning and God has spoken to you, would you just lift up a hand? God knows, I see that hand. It's, he's spoken to you in some way. Maybe you need a second chance. Maybe you got the wrong people in your boat. Hands all over this place, all over this place. Father, I thank you, Lord, today for my brothers and sisters. I thank you, Lord, for their hearts, their lives, for this great place called Oaks Church where you're doing a great work. I pray, Lord, today that there'll be a spirit of encouragement on these who have lifted their hands today, that you'll meet them right where they are. You'll embrace them with your loving arms. Give them, Lord, wisdom to discern the people that are riding along with them, the ones that need to stay and the ones that need to go. Let them quit running from you and run to you so you can fulfill your purpose and calling in their life. Father, for the one this morning that feels like they've blown it so bad that there's no way that you could still love them, would you prove to them that you still love them and that you care about them? And would you restore them? Would you meet them right where they are, right there in the aisle where they are? God, meet them and touch them. Father, we thank you for all that you've done this morning. What a wonderful day in your presence. Now, Father, I pray tonight as we come back, Lord, for a heart for the house and have the opportunity to speak one more time and to encourage and to talk about all the great things you're doing. Before long, it will no longer be a meeting here, but it'll be a meeting in a brand new location. And we're excited about that. There'll be no more tear up, set out, set up, tear down, all of that. Thank you, Father, for the blessings of life. Now, Lord, I feel impressed to pray for Pastor John and Miss Brooke, for their family, for what you're doing in them and through them. God, I pray for the Shekinah glory of God to rest on them, but flood them, Lord, with a fresh anointing and a fresh touch that would fill them to overflowing, that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that, God, you are working, you're moving. And I pray, Lord, for a great exponential growth here 
at Oaks Church that God, next time I come, there'll be a thousand or more people because Lord, you're on the scene and you've heard the hearts and the cries of hungry people. Now bless us today, Lord, in all that you do. We promise to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.